Hey, on Saturday, February 3rd, I'm doing a live panel here in L.A. at Largo at the Coronet with the writers from The Good Place, including creator Mike Shore and a whole bunch of the great writers, maybe all of them, who knows. It'll be a few days after the second season finale. Again, that's February 3rd. Uh, And it benefits Write Girl, a creative writing and mentoring organization that promotes creativity, critical thinking, and leadership skills to empower teen girls. You can get tickets and more information at Largo-LA.com. Please join us. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writers Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to other writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 500 writers on the show, so please check the archives to find more writers and more TV shows of interest to you. I'm a writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, and other programs. I have a couple of cool projects out this first quarter of 2017 that I hope you'll check out. One is a Supernatural Western comic book series from Boom Publishing that I wrote with my writing partner, Ben Acker, and our friend, the TV showrunner, Andrew Miller. It's beautifully illustrated by Hannah Christensen, And the first issue is available in comic stores and online February 8th. In March comes the first book in a series of young adult novels that Acker and I wrote called Star Wars Join the Resistance. It takes place just before The Force Awakens and is about a bunch of kids who join the fight against the First Order. But mostly they have adventures, fall in love with each other, and get in trouble. I hope you'll check out both of those projects. We're very proud of how they came out. Let me know who you'd like to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, liking the Writer's Panel on Facebook, and visiting writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Reading those reviews really provides a pick-me-up. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! We're in a windowless office with no furniture. <laughs> I'm sure you agree with yes. We don't even have all the panels. They're, they're now taking panels slowly from us. Oh, yeah. It's like a scene from Seven. <laughs> really? Yeah. Sick. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for being here. I have been saying it publicly. I will say it to your faces. I love the Exorcist television program. Uh, you guys are really doing great work. Uh, I'm sorry nobody's watching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Story of our lives. <laughs> but it really is good, and I, ho- I sincerely hope that people will sort of find it. Thank you. Uh, as I know people did find the first season. Um, so why don't you introduce yourselves, uh, starting with you, Jeremy, so people can differentiate your voices, and then we'll get into it. I'm Jeremy Slater. This is my voice. Uh, I uh, am one of the executive producers. I am Sean Crouch. I am also one of the executive producers. All right. Um, Jeremy, you uh, you are credited with sort of creating, developing the show for Fox. Right. Um, how did you become that guy? Uh, I, I was on the feature side of things for yeah. like 10 years, um, running on that kind of treadmill where you're one of 20 writers on... A, a, a terrible superhero movie or a terrible horror movie or, or, or something like that. Uh, and it, it was really fun, but at the same time, it's uh, <laughs> you have zero ownership over anything you do. I mean, I have, I have my name on movies where I literally have three words of dialogue 
in the entire in the entire film. Um, so so it was fun and the money's good, but there was kind of zero pride in the end result. Um, and everyone said, "Come to TV. TV is fun. TV, you don't get fired and replaced twenty times. Um, you can actually stay on a project from beginning to end." And so. Um, I had my agents start sniffing around for, for projects that were interesting. Um, and they came to me with the idea of Morgan Creek was developing The Exorcist as a show. And they said, are you interested? And I, and I said, no, that's a terrible idea. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, and you shouldn't do it either. And then after I hung up the phone and started thinking about it, um, pieces started to kind of fall into place. Because the original plan was to just remake the film and oh, I told really? them and, and, and I and they had tried to develop it for like a year or two and tried to get it off the ground and I, I just I, I was like that's a terrible idea because you're never gonna tell that particular story better. You're only gonna tell it longer. So how um, do you start talking, whether it's Morgan Creek or whether it's the network into there's a better way to do this, which clearly yeah, it, it was it was all in collaboration with Morgan Creek because because I, I I told my agent give him a call be like look he has no interest in, in trying to top William Friedkin, um, but but he thinks there's something here and so and so they were very happy to sit down with me and we kind of bounced ideas around in, in a preliminary meeting and I went off and kind of based off that meeting kind of wrote. Um, you know, a, a, a five-page document, which was basically the first three quarters of season one. It was the the family. It was the two priests. Um, I had the twist pretty early on that it was actually kind of a stealth sequel to the movie, um, but I was very deliberate to not tell anyone, um, including really? Fox, including Morgan Creek. Uh, I, I kept that very uh, hidden just to give myself wiggle room, just, just so... If I if I chickened out and lost my number, um, I could always walk it back. And also, I knew that as soon as you tell someone the big twist, they're like, "That's great. Let's put it in the pilot." Yeah, um, I think that's a good reason not to tell. But it also felt to me, just in watching the series, that like, yeah, it's kind of going along, right? And you're getting a great exorcist story. You're getting great exorcism stuff, and it it in many ways. Felt like the movie, which I think oh, good. was probably something you were yes. trying to do. Um, <laughs> but when that twist comes in the first season, that to me felt like a selling point. So it's so interesting to hear that you didn't you didn't tell them that. Well, I I, I understand the need for marketing on especially yeah. seeing our, our numbers uh, in the ratings. Marketing would be a good thing. <laughs> and, and and the reality is that if we had ended that first pilot episode with my name is Reagan McNeil, um, we probably would have gotten more buzz. We probably would have gotten more eyeballs. We may be in a different position here. But, you know, I, I felt at the time, and I, I still believe that um, – you would never have built up any sort of emotional attachment to that family and those characters. You wouldn't have cared about Casey Rance being possessed because it would have immediately just become a story about Reagan McNeil's daughter is possessed versus yeah. this brand new character. Um, and and I just I just knew that if you don't fall in love with the, these characters, if you don't get emotionally invested in the core possession storyline for each season, um, then it's just a series of people levitating and speaking in weird right. voices and, and shit flying around the room. And, and it's very, it, it just becomes empty spectacle. And so if you can't, if you can't get them hooked early on, um, 
why are you doing this to begin with? So, you know, I, 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 I'm also a fan of the twist. I, I think that's, I think that's one of the, the big joys of writing is to be able to do that sleight of hand magic trick and to try to trick people. We, we did it last year. We, we tried to do it this season as well with, with a couple twists. Um, when you pull it off, it's really, really fun when you're sitting there watching people lose their shit on Twitter <laughs> in real time right. and you're like, I got him. Um, it's a great feeling. It's as, it's as close as most of us will ever get to to being M. Night Shyamalan or something like that and <laughs> sitting in the back of the theater and hearing everyone in the theater just go, yeah. oh, shit, at the same time. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very room, it's yeah. very addictive. Like <laughs> I've never I've never experienced that before. Right. And then it's like, oh yeah, you know, now we got to chase the dragon. Right. <laughs> yeah. That feeling again and again. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that it would not be as effective if it were a marketing tool. Yeah, right. Uh, it would feel like a knockoff of The Exorcist rather than part of the whole. Right. Right. Um, I want to talk about sort of the design of. The, each of these seasons and sort of talk about the second season specifically um, was the design to have you know an exorcism per season yes okay. from the from the beginning I, I, I said you know we're gonna we're gonna approach each season as a 10 hour movie because um, I don't think you can stretch this past 10 episodes I think once you start talking about 13 or 16 you're gonna you're gonna be spinning your wheels uh, because if you go back and look at the original film there's probably 10 to 15 minutes of actual exorcism mm-hmm. in the movie The Exorcist. Yeah. It's the final um, act, and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, th- that's yeah. about it. Um, and, and we kind of tend to have 10 to 15 minutes per episode in a lot of these, <laughs> in, in, in some of these seasons. So so you, you always kind of run the risk of, of, of as soon as these demons become non-threatening, as soon as it's not yeah. scary, um, it, it's kind of the risk that any horror show has where the more you kind of shove a zombie or a werewolf or a ghost in someone's face, the more familiar you kind of become with its tricks and and the harder it becomes to make them scary or memorable. So we we said from the beginning, each season will have one sort of central case and that's your emotional investment in the season. And, you know, the the exorcists, the priests and this larger conspiracy storyline will carry on from year to year because... I had no interest in doing American Horror Story and just kind of hitting a reset sure. button every year. You need to give the audience a reason to come back. Well, and you've got these compelling actors. Too. Yeah, and that's the other thing is saying goodbye to Ben Daniels and Alfonso yeah. Herrera would be this. <laughs> like, how do you replace them? How do you find two right. better exorcists every single year? It'd be impossible. I think. I think ratings wise, you know, maybe if we had done more of the CBS model. Where it was an exorcism of the week, yeah. you know, Which CSI I think is what exorcism. People I think I, I think ratings wise that might have maybe maybe the ratings would be. I, I think the ratings would be higher, but I think it would have dropped off because mm-hmm. it's so less satisfying. Absolutely. I mean, even this season, we tried at the beginning of the season. We we gave because we needed creatively. We need to spread mm-hmm. out, and we wanted to watch the seduction of John Cho's character over the course of a longer time, which we didn't get to see in season one. Um, so we have a you know we have an exorcism in the first two episodes, right. and then the third episode we sort of have a third exorcism of the week that ends up not not being an exorcism, which was a great, um, which was fun, and it was fun to play in that in that sandbox for those three episodes. But then, really, as we as we did with the A story with John Cho's character in the first three episodes, I mean, really that's the satisfying. Yeah. And then when you get to the end of the season, that's what you want to see. Yeah. Well, this is I mean, just coming off of what you guys were saying uh, in the second season and. We have seen, right? We've lived through the first. We've seen right. exorcisms. We've yep. seen what these demons can do. We've seen kind of what the rules of this world are. 
how do you, in the second season, start to change that? You know, what were the conversations that took place, uh, Sean, when yeah. you came in? I think the biggest one for me, and it was, it was like the, our very first meeting, we immediately uh, had the exact same ideas going mm-hmm. forward. But I think one of the biggest, biggest ideas that I, I sort of mentioned before was let's see the seduction of, mm-hmm. of, our, of our main character. And, and using the twist of grace along the way, we're, obviously this is spoiled, right? This is yes. okay. This is, we <laughs> should say, like, we're going to assume you've seen yeah. all of season one. Right. Season two up to episode nine, and the finale is next is this week, and people can watch it. So we wanted to play with the which of our five kids are are possessed, yeah. and we don't and we don't know because we're expecting last season where we didn't see really Casey's seduction. You see the salesman a little bit mm-hmm. early on. So this time we wanted to show how a man could sell his soul from the from mm. almost from day one, almost from Jump Street, all the way through through the grace, and then when he rejects that demon, then the demon then changes to his wife and really and really hits him harder with that. So that's really one of the main things we changed from last season is to see this I mean he's really not fully possessed until the end of episode seven. Yeah. Really. All the way through. So we waited, whereas last season was what halfway through the pilot basically, right? That Casey's up in the up in the attic. Yeah, yeah. In, in Demon season one, so about the first episode. Yeah. yeah. So if we had done that this season, with if Andy had been possessed from the first season, I don't know where. There, there's five episodes of TV. I have no <laughs> idea what. It's a yeah. blank. It's a the test guess, pattern. The guessing game was a lot of the fun, right. too. I mean, you get to have all those misleads and yeah. build the characters at the same time. So let's talk about like the the milieu of this second season and and where this even came from. I mean, I think. The first, again, felt, only in retrospect, very safe, and that was a suburban family. It was a thing we recognized, tied to the movie. Um, So for the second season, again, where, where did you guys start? We the one thing I knew even even last year is that if we get a second year, um, if we if we're lucky enough to get a second season, I I really wanted the central possessed person to be male. I, I wanted to try it in, in season one, but then I knew once once I had the Reagan McNeil twist, I was like, you know what? It's it's thematically better if it's Reagan's daughter who's possessed mm-hmm. instead of Reagan's son. It's a, it's going to be an easier misdirect to make the audience look over here at mm-hmm. at, at Casey, paying no attention to Angela standing over here in the sh- shadows. Um, but it. it it's something we discussed a lot in our writer's room. Last year, we discussed it a lot in our room. This year, which is there's just a lot of misogyny built into the exorcism genre as a whole. It's always about kind of the virginal, innocent, helpless woman mm-hmm. who's kind of being defiled and invaded and filled up by this masculine, you know, rapey presence. And, and the only person who can save her are two kind of celibate male right. priests who are going to kind of come in and lecture her on all the evil she's done. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and some of, and, and some of that's not to kind of blame Blatty or blame the original no. story. It, it, it's more to blame the sort of 40 years of cop, uh, of, mm-hmm. of copycats and knockoff imitations. These have become of, the tropes. Of they're right, they're, they're of tropes at this point. I think and you can go back even 500 years to Catholicism. I mean, it's <laughs> yes. priests. It literally is we'll, priests. We'll, we'll blame the Bible instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I mean, it grows <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of thematic elements packed into this. There's a lot of, uh, yeah. you know, gender politics packed right. into this from, yes, from the beginning, but also from the movie on. Yeah, exactly. And then, so we kind of said, you know, if we came back for a year or two and, and our, our central possessed person was, was another, you know, 20 year old 
white blonde girl. Um, it, it would feel like that we are kind of embracing these tropes as opposed to trying to take them in new directions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we just talked a lot about what conceptually excited us and, and the idea of, of doing an adult as opposed to a teenager mm-hmm. or a child. And, and once you have a male adult, the idea of, of doing a father was something that you know mm-hmm. we all kind of creatively jumped at very early because you, you have to have a strong family structure is what we've learned in breaking these stories. If, if you take the guy who has no family and no friends and no kids and he becomes possessed, no one gives a shit because no one's... <laughs> rooting, no, you have to see someone rooting for this guy to get saved. It's, it's why... If you're doing Independence Day or some movie like that, you always have to keep cutting back to the people on the ground <laughs> who are kind of watching the spaceships blow up and cheering to let the audience know that, like, yes, this is something to cheer for. Um, so, so all the pieces just kind of started clicking together that this is a, needs to be a story about a family and then how do we make this a different kind of family than we had last year. Um, I don't remember who it was in our writer's room to give credit to, but, but someone, someone, uh, threw out the idea of foster kids on the first or second day of brainstorming of, and, and we all just kind of latched onto it as a way to tell a different kind of story about, you know, the, the, the family that you build potentially being stronger than the family that you're born with. Um, it, it felt like new ground for us to explore yeah. versus the sort of generic, nothing is stronger than the power of love stuff that, <laughs> that you, you kind of default to when you're doing stories like this. Sure. And as a father, it was a very important to me. I think in our very first meeting we talked about as a father, it was very important to me to, to think about what would I sell my soul for? I would sell my soul for my kids or for my wife. Or a Klondike mm-hmm. bar. <laughs> so I, I think that's one reason, one way we came into this saying what, you know, what, how, how could we, which we see in episode seven, we finally see. And I, and I hope that one reason people find episode seven scary is because they start to say, oh, I would, I would make those choices. Mm-hmm. I would sort of like Breaking Bad for me was what, what I love about Breaking Bad is every choice he made until basically the last season, I would make that same choice yeah. every single time. I would say, oh, I'd do that. I would do that. I would do that. And so we tried to, that's what we tried to do throughout the course of Andy's seduction, especially into, into episode seven. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have to... Storytelling is about choices, right? Yeah. And about justifying the choices for your character. Um, so the season was broken. You had the room together already. Were you walking into season two with ideas already, or, or was it really formed in the room? Vague, half-baked ideas. I, I, I knew that the character Mouse was going to get introduced. Um, I, I knew that she had a history and a past with Marcus um, because that's something that we had discussed in our room last year as, as an interesting kind of B or C plot that we never found a way to kind of bring that in. There was just never time in season one. So we always said, you know, if we come back, let's explore, explore more of his past. Let's explore more of Marcus's sexuality. Like I, I had kind of like a checklist of the things that we never got to play with last year. Um, but in, in terms of the central possession storyline, I, I knew it was, I, I knew the person was male and I knew it was adult and beyond that, sure. we kind of had nothing. That's, that's um, a great location. piece of the room, right? Yeah. We had Did location. You, location? you know, going back location to your earlier question, we had, I mean, it we wasn't, didn't have a say in the location. It wasn't, it wasn't our choice. 
They said, uh, you were sh- uh, I came in, they said, you are shooting in Vancouver. Uh-huh. So we said, all right, Vancouver, Seattle, uh, big Asian-American population, big um, immigrant population for our foster family. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that what we did with diversity uh, this season was just normal. That mm-hmm. We wanted to show you this was just a normal thing. That's, it doesn't feel like we're doing diversity because no. it just feels like we're doing just this is normal. And, and I think the Pacific Northwest, you get a lot more of that feeling. And then I, I know that we, we, you know, we're obviously huge horror fans and, and the, the using nature. You know, as you said, last year was urban and sort of safe. Now we, we put them on an island yeah. and we isolate them and we use nature to tell our story this season to, to give us, again, a different, you know, to use a lot of greens and blues for sort of the whites and the blacks of less yeah. even even color scheme and our, our, our uh, directing producer even came in with with ideas about how changing the color scheme and the lighting over the course of the season oh, even changed that's really neat one of our yeah one of our big creative references this season even though we had to lie in all our interviews because it would have given <laughs> away the twist and so we had to be like oh no it's all we're, we're taking inspiration from J-Horror and from Poltergeist <laughs> and just lying through our teeth but it was right. The Shining like yeah. The Shining was the sure. reference we kept bringing up and you can't tell anyone because once right. you're like, hey, it's the story of a father <laughs> who goes crazy and attacks his kids, um, it kind of gives away the twist a little yes. bit. Um, but you know, the thing that makes The Shining one of the best horror movies ever is the way it embraces its location, the yeah. way it takes that mm-hmm. isolation and makes it a physical threat almost. Yeah. It's this ever present claustrophobia that's constantly closing in on you even though you're in this sort of wide open expansive natural environment it feels so incredibly claustrophobic and so that's something we looked at how do we do that on the page how do we do that in our storytelling and obviously how do we how do we translate that to screen with our directors yeah. i mean i think the the latter is certainly you know that's the most obvious right yeah, is right. this this show in this season especially has this amazing lived in quality like the house that those people live in yeah that's a house where people live. The right? Stanley Hotel. Or the Overlook. I mean, that's sort of what I, I sort of yeah. called it myself. We called it the Overlook Hotel, the Stanley Hotel. Yeah. Which one's in the movie? Which one's real? Is it the Overlook? The Overlook is, is the name of it. It's just it shot at the Stanley. At the Stanley. Okay, yeah. So um, that's what we sort of thought that that was our. Yeah. Which can be both so welcoming and so terrifying. Right. And it's got these great shadows and corners and attics and things. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the choice to sort of play that claustrophobia. And that isolation on the page that I'm curious about. You know, how do you guys as writers get that across? What do your scripts look like? For this, I mean, for this show, we have to. Because it's, it's this show, take, this, it, it takes place in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't a superhero show or a, a, you know, Outlander out on Mars. Outlander. You know, this <laughs> the Sean Connery Outlander. Oh, not, okay. not, not the new Outlander. Sorry, not the new Outlander. I haven't seen either, but I know one doesn't <laughs> that, take place on Mars. <laughs> So part of that is is we're trying to write in a in a almost a drama space, let let out of you, know, and then all of a sudden we insert demons into the drama. So I think that's where we get some of our claustrophobia from. We also had um, because we had this twist where you know we're introducing our salesman character right from the beginning and kind of hiding our salesman in plain sight. 
but instead of uh, of a creepy gentleman in a suit, it's it's an adorable five year old girl. Um, Pretty creepy though. I yeah, mean, the, the, the imagery. She's, she's of, an incredibly creepy. <laughs> the pillowcase, right. which should throw you off the case, right? You're like, there's right. no way that she's too creepy to be the demon. <laughs> <laughs> which was our thinking going into like, it. How do we how do we throw people off? You find yourself way? asking the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's so such unease in those first five six episodes. Well, and and, and that's what was tricky for us to kind of crack because when you're telling a story about someone's sanity unraveling, but you're also trying to make his madness a surprise to some extent and, and a twist, uh, you have to be very careful. And it's, and it's why, you know, we had a lot of, of issues and, and a lot of things to, to discuss with our writers, with the studio and the network early on <laughs> of, you know, how isolated do you make this character? Do you give him friends? Does he have people on the island? Does he have a day job that he's going to? And there was a lot of push to, to kind of broaden his world a little bit. And, and the one thing we always clung to is the more we can isolate him, the more you can make this guy incredibly lonely without the audience realizing that he's incredibly lonely, yeah. that's going to help the twist land. Because if you go back and rewatch those first four episodes, hopefully you see all the places where you realize like, oh shit, this guy is... Is he's he's grieving. This is a guy in stasis whose life basically ended when his wife's life ended, and he still hasn't moved on. He's still kind of living in this limbo. And and the trick was to try to kind of design scenes that played like normal happy father where everything's yeah. okay, and then you go by, back and watch it with a fresh set of eyes, and you realize like, oh, it is pretty unhealthy that this guy is just spending all day long. Right picking up after kids and, and, and walking around this creepy island by himself. Yeah. Um, the, so it was, but that is, I mean, always the, thing, a balancing act. the thing you mentioned is the great trick, especially right. the first half of the season is this, we're watching, we know we're watching right. The Exorcist, right. right? But it seems like there's nothing wrong yeah. here. And we get, you guys sort of play the drama in a B story, you play the horror in a B story, sure. you know, you get this other stuff going on to sort of my favorite you know, trick of distract, this, which is amazing. My favorite trick of this whole season is is that what you're talking about is that we're watching a man who wants to help children, mm-hmm. and he he is most successful with Grace. Mm-hmm. He this is an agoraphobic mm-hmm. little girl who won't even leave her room. He finally in episode two gets her out of her room. In episode three he gets her outside a little bit, but there's some bad things he gets her. Finally, episode four he's successful. And if this was a drama, it would be a beautiful moment. You'd have the, the scores playing, and they're outside dancing and the thing. And, and then Verity comes and sees him. Obviously, we, we don't see it, but he's by himself. And then he goes upstairs. She doesn't exist. So it's, it's And we tried to do this over and over the season. Tried to give you, if this was a normal drama, we'd give you these beautiful moments, moments of absolute beauty and success. And then you realize that's a demon's lie. And it should be really scary when you go back and look at it yeah. again. Like it's wow, that's that's how they get you, right? Well, it's totally you're playing it totally subjective, right? right. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're with John Cho's character, yes. um, I want to ask just briefly about the casting. This cast is phenomenal. Yes, yes. they're so yeah. good. We're so lucky. Yeah, um, amazingly lucky. Every single one is a home run. Yeah, every single. And you're building cast. again. Other than the priest, you're building this from scratch in yeah. the second season. Um, did you have? People in mind was Joe mentioned early. Did you have we had one person types in mind. in mind? Is that right? We had one person in mind. We for the first three weeks, I think, up on our board. You know, you have you, you break your episodes right. on the board. You use the characters' names. So you know, Verity goes to school. 
every every time we had um, Andy Kim, that's the character's name, it was just John Cho. Yeah. <laughs> we said John Cho comes home. John Cho's with Grace. John Cho <laughs> makes danger. Right. And that's <laughs> like, again, we should say like this is a thing that writers do. They do. Let's say yes. here's right. the casting. We don't know who this guy is yet, but we yeah. love this. We love this actor. is the idea of yeah. what we want. And then we're like, well, we better go out to him because <laughs> if he says no. I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, and my question was sort of about, yeah. and finding out that he wasn't involved in the beginning is like, once you approach an actor like that, you, you have the story, right? You're not, he knows he's mm-hmm. the one who's going to be possessed. He knows the truth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we had a, a, a meeting with him. We, we got a tuna melts, tuna melts, at cafe one one. <laughs> really excellent um, tuna melts. I think that's what sold him. Holy shit. The lights just went out. <laughs> The you guys are, just out. You're on brand. <laughs> Exorcist shit is happening. So you you sort of sold him the season. You kind of like, have to. When, you, when you're dealing with like the A-listers, you kind of have to. It was the same with Gina Davis in season one. Like we had to to come in and, and really pitch her that you're not just going to be playing the sort of Chris McNeil role from the original mm-hmm. movie where you're concerned, concerned mother, and then you get kind of pushed to the side and someone else comes in to save the day and you're just crying in, in the hallway outside the room that you're, you're going to have an actual arc to your character and that you actually get to play the villain at some point. I, I think that's an appeal for mm-hmm. a lot of actors. I mean, Gina Davis has had this incredible career and over the course of, what, 30 years, she's never once been offered a villain role. Yeah, um, and she's fucking awesome at it. Like Absolutely. if you watch if you watch season one, she's so good at being scary, <laughs> and it's just you know it, it's it's an itch that they haven't gotten to scratch in some cases. And for John, it was really you know we we talked about you're going to be playing the world's best father, and then you're going to be playing this guy spiraling into grief and madness, and then you're going to be playing you know Jason Voorhees to some extent. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's going to be three kind of radically different characters over yeah. the course of ten episodes we're going to take this guy on on a real journey um i think that's another that's a good lesson too for writers is like you're writing for actors and actors want to do stuff mm-hmm. they do give them stuff to play and they want to do stuff they haven't done before yeah. is, is is another thing because you know when we were putting together sort of our preliminary lists of who do we like um when just when we were starting to talk about the role of andy it was like well who are those actors we're not sick of who are those actors who yeah. who <laughs> You know, because you can go offer something to Kiefer Sutherland or something right. like that, but it's like You've seen him I've seen him on TV for the last twenty years, <laughs> and, he, and he's great. But it's like there's there's not that level of excitement. Whereas you you take so we kind of sat down on our first day, and it was like who who do we love? Who's that guy who's awesome? And you're happy every time he shows up in something and you always want just a little bit more. Like, let's find that guy and let's give him a little bit more. Let's build an entire season around taking one of these guys who we know he can dramatically handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and look, John brought this season to life in so many yeah. ways, I think. Like, we knew he could do it, but then he went, beyond. He went beyond. Yeah. He went beyond. I mean, his, it, it, look, if we were, if five million people a week watched this show, they'd be talking about him for Emmys sure. right now. Absolutely. That, that's they, everyone would be talking about him for yeah. Emmy. And I think right that's true of the whole cast. I yeah, mean, absolutely, like, absolutely. You know, they are really bringing this thing to life. You believe the humanity of yeah. these characters, which is really necessary for selling this kind of thing. Yeah. I want to uh, just sort of take a sidebar here and talk about horror in general and The Exorcist specifically. You talked a little bit about some of the tropes uh, yeah. that uh, have become um, associated with. The Exorcist or Exorcism stories, but when you're looking at 
the first season, when you're looking at the original movie and sort of saying, what can I take out of that, uh, whether it's thematic or visual, what was the stuff that you thought about that you talked with your with the writer's room about? I mean, when I, when I was sitting down just figuring out how to crack it, as how to translate it to television in the first place, to me... What was more interesting was the question was was sort of the questions of faith and morality and spirituality. To me, that was unexplored territory in terms of uh, in terms of television. I, I, you don't see a lot of characters kind of grappling with faith and mm-hmm. talking about these big issues. At you know, I, there's plenty of shows with possessions or with demons or ghosts or, or supernatural spirits and, and exorcisms and cleansing rituals. Um, you know, supernatural does three or four of them a year uh, and, and does them well, but it's, 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 you're never going to reinvent the wheel with something like that. I, so, so my pitch was always, this has to be a drama first and foremost and a horror show secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, which I, I didn't realize coming into this because I was a total rookie to the world of television is the sort of production schedule that you're talking about. You have, you have eight days to shoot a 45 minute movie essentially. Yeah. Um, and, and we knew that in order to do justice to the exorcist name, it needed to feel like a movie. Um, you can't crap this out and make it, you know, look like just kind of a slick, glossy, um, don't say another show. Don't say another show. I'm trying so hard not to insult other shows. It can't look like a network show. Exactly. Like it doesn't. Right. If it looked super slick and 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 phony, you would lose that level of realism. And so it's it's very hard to pull that off in in eight days in 42 pages of script. So so the thing that you have to learn is that is how to be judicious with your scares, how to kind of mm-hmm. parcel them out because, you know, you figure you have eight days of shooting, a good scare sequence is going to take all day. It's, sure. it's going to be a solid yeah. 14 hours of filming to get something with the proper level of coverage and atmosphere and everything else. And so if you have two scares in your episode, that may take up three minutes of, of, of screen time, but now you have to get the other 42 minutes of your episode in six days. And if you want three scares, it's going to compress your schedule even more. And so you have to be very smart about, you know, there are other horror shows on TV that, that on, on cable and in other places that have the luxury of shooting 20, 20 day episodes. Um, and, and we don't have that. So the only way this was ever going to work is if we were a drama first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And that means really kind of leaning into the things that make the original exorcist, Mm -hmm interesting to me, which is, you know, less about the little girl floating off the bed and more about Karis trying to figure out whether or not he's fucked up his entire life by joining the, the, the priesthood. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and an atheist like, like Chris McNeil trying to reconcile the fact that her daughter's bed is bouncing up and down for right. no reason. Like, to me, that's, that's kind of the interesting stuff. And so that's always been our approach in the writer's room, which is kind of like tell the drama first and foremost. Don't worry about the scares. We have enough, we have enough sick and twisted minds behind the <laughs> scenes that can go take these dramatic scripts and figure out the place to drop a nightmare right. sequence or to drop a really tense kind of interrogation sequence but if the drama doesn't work, there's no reason to come back week after yeah. week. Then you just kind of wind up with exploitation TV, and the audience gets bored and moves on. Yeah. The only uh, the only problem with that 
that we found, and, and we I think we have a great solution for it, was that's great for most of your episodes. Then you get to episodes 9 and 10 at the end yeah. of the season. <laughs> 9, you are now owed Jason Voorhees running through the forest yeah, trying right. to kill his children. You know, and you can't, you're not going to have a tea, you're not going to have a, a scene where they break for tea halfway right. through and talk about character stuff. You so, can't let so, them all. Yeah, so that script was 38 pages. Yeah. <laughs> it's sure. just action and, 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 and then the finale had, you know, has everything in it as, mm-hmm. as you'll see uh, coming up this week. Yeah. Uh, it has... Nice plug. <laughs> 9 p.m. on Fox. Also buy soap. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that you you have no idea when you're just sitting there, because I didn't, uh, when you're just sitting there watching as a TV viewer, um, you kind of just assume that that the finale is the easiest episode to do because you have all year to plan it and you know you get it right. And, and what you don't realize is every other episode leading up to your last two, if you fuck something up, if you don't make your day, then those missing scenes just get bumped to a second <laughs> unit. And your second unit goes and shoots something while another episode is, is taking place. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's like, oh, well, we only got half of our scenes on this day, but don't worry, uh, Jason Enzo will pick it up next week. And then you get to the last two episodes of the year, which are the most important, and the second episode 10 finishes wrapping, no one gets paid anymore. <laughs> like, everyone's contracts end yeah. literally at midnight on that <laughs> On the last day or of filming. 2.30 a.m. Oh, yeah. You wrapped at 2.30 a.m. 2.30 a.m. Saturday like, morning. Or Sunday people morning. People just put Sunday their morning. stuff down and, right. and walk away because, God bless them, they've been working nonstop for six right. months. Yeah. And your actors hop on planes and they fly back to wherever <laughs> they live and, and people start taking sledgehammers to all the sets and everything. So it's like anything you don't get in those last two episodes – you just don't get it. Just doesn't exist, yeah. and that's the kind of stuff that when you're just sitting there on the couch, like yelling at your TV, but well, why didn't that happen? Um, it's it's the shit that I had no idea about before sure. I, I I jumped to television. Yeah. Well, that's why you're here, right? I mean, well, <laughs> yeah, partly. Sean, I mean, you've, yeah. you've been doing this for a while. I have. Um, yeah. You've worked on a number of shows that have sort of lasted literally a long numbers. Time. <laughs> literally <laughs> number of numbers. Um, what did you take from all these experiences that you bring to sort of producing this show? Like this show, boy, I, show? I, uh, this show was this show's the hardest show I've ever produced. What? It's also the most satisfying. It's also the best. It, I think it's because I think because we are everyone's so passionate. We want every episode, and I think we have successfully so far. Every episode has been better than the last because it's built on the last. Creatively, production-wise, the look, every single the actors, every single person brings it and gets better and better and Verity better. You know, I think Verity in episode eight, I think she that's the best performance that mm-hmm. Brianna Hildebrand's had this entire season. She's been great She's this whole season, yeah. but she killed it in 208. You know, and so every performance gets better and better. And we turn in these scripts, even a 39-page script is really when they board it out, it's really a 12-day shooting mm-hmm. schedule. And we only have eight days to shoot it. And somehow we have to fit that in. And on this show, it's because we all, no one is willing to compromise. Mm-hmm. On the show, including the network and the studio, no one's willing. They say, fine, you know what, do it. We will make it happen. We will spend the money. We will find this. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a producer, that kills me, you know, it, because it, it should be a lot easier than that. Yeah. But creatively, it's well worth it. Yeah, and that's it why. seems it. I mean, it's funny. I mean, we talk about shortcuts, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell every step of the way that shortcuts are not taken on this show right. and on the best shows like the shows that we love there are no yep. shortcuts yeah. there's no hand waving and it seems like that would be the way to tell a story and yeah. yet yes. you know most of network TV is not that right well, and, you, and, and it's not it's 
just part of the beast yeah. of network TV. I guess it is. You have 43 minutes and 45 seconds because the rest of that is commercials mm-hmm. and you just need people to keep coming back and watching the show and, and you know, just to have everybody, to have 100% of people not compromise and not willing to compromise on this show is why it's so good. Is it possible, I'm going to ask you to get a little heady here, but <laughs> is, it, is it possible that network is or could move towards a cable model where so much of the writing is getting done up front uh, before production starts? I think it, it would. <laughs> yeah, it would be smart. Um, I, right. I, I think they're doing it to some extent. I know that they gave Star and Empire early mm-hmm. renewals, and kind of right. as soon as they, so they wrapped, as soon as they wrapped their seasons, they immediately rolled right. the writers into yeah. into new. Um, because it is like, look, our. The only reason our show exists is because of how good our writers' room was. Because our our schedule was impossible. We had eight from from, yeah. from our first day sitting down to start brainstorming and saying what should this season be about. We had eight days to to figure out the season before we had to start breaking episode one. We had to go pitch. We had to go pitch Fox right. eight days later. Jeremy and I had to go in and say, "Here's our entire season." Yeah. And what if they had said no? That, that happens. <laughs> right? And yeah. they did say no to a few things. And yeah. we, some of them we agreed with and some we pushed back on and said, you know what, let us do the first five and we'll come back and sort of pitch out the end a little bit. As well. And the same thing happened on, on, on year one, honestly. We had the exact same thing where, you know, I, I got the call to start writing the pilot and, and had to have the pilot written five days later and then <laughs> we were casting the next week. It, it was like it happened that fast. And then everything stopped for like three months so that they could test. And, and, and then once they decided to pick up the show and, and hire everyone, by the time you close all the deals and find a writer space and move everyone in, you have eight days. And you have eight days to figure out what's going to happen. And so... And so you know, last year, this is this is inside baseball here, but like last year, we had no idea how the season was going to end, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like it kind of it, it kind of bit us on the ass a little bit. It did not end in a sa- in the satisfying way that I was hoping. Mm-hmm. We we weren't able to bring all of the different plot threads together, and it's because we kind of tried to deliberately go. A to B to C to, you know, we'll we'll get episode six, great, then we'll worry about episode seven. So one of the things we try to do differently um, this year that got a lot of pushback from from different people because it's not the way television works um, or network TV works, but we said... We're going to hit the ground running. We're going to generate material as quickly as we can, mm-hmm. because then we, because if if we can get first drafts in your hands, we can have start someone working on the next first draft, and then the next first draft after that, and then Sean and I can be going back behind the scenes and making these better before they actually air. But we're gonna we're going to race against the clock. So we kind of we had episode ten kind of mapped out yeah. while we were sort of still writing episode five, mm-hmm. whereas last year we were figuring out 10 while nine was being right. Written. It was right. wonderful. So, yeah. so, so did this different approach work? It I, did, but, but, so. but it's, it's very, but what we found out is that it's not done in network television. Right. The, you know, and it caused problems from some and, and it caused problems, you know, cause people are, are used to getting scripts in pristine yeah. fashion and give it to us three days before it's due or, or three days before it has to right. be finished as opposed to three weeks early. Yeah. Um, once you start, 
handing things in very quickly and suddenly there's six scripts sitting on someone's desk it becomes very easy to just kind of get overwhelmed or something so so I think there are models that need to change a little bit to to emulate what cable does mm -hmm. where on cable there's a lot more of you go off and write 10 scripts in seclusion mm -hmm. and bring them back and then we will judge all 10 scripts at once right. um, and then you'll go shoot all 10 in a row where you know, network still, you're, you're kind of preparing your meal while you eat it. You're, yeah. you're writing it while you shoot it, while you edit it. Well, I think and it, it, that approach is for a different kind of note, too, right? Like, you're giving yeah. this to executives and saying, we're giving you a broad view of story. Yes. These scripts are not done. Don't give me line notes, which I think is valuable. Yes, and, 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 and to be perfectly clear... It, we're the ones who fucked up, not the network. Yeah, 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 because yes. we didn't have yes. those preliminary conversations. Yeah. We, we just, just were, we were just like, here's some scripts. We're going to keep going. Don't worry about it. And they all freaked out because they were like, oh, well, this, some of these scripts suck. And we're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There wasn't quite so that bad. So communication problem. Yes, the communication problem was definitely on our head. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but but I'm, I am saying that that. In an ideal world, you everyone would sort of follow the Netflix model, yeah. where you go off, you get the scripts right, um, you figure out the entire arc of the season, um, and and then you you hand them in, you make sure everyone's creatively happy, and then right. you go off to shoot it. Um, but this year, because Sean and I worked at such a fast pace, we were much closer to that, which means I think our finale this year is much better than our finale last year. There's stuff that ties into the very first episode in nine and ten. Yeah, there are call, yeah. there are visual callbacks. There yeah. are, are line character line arc callbacks. line callbacks. There are um, character arcs that are getting tied right. up. Um, even I mean, even while we were shooting, Jeremy and I both went up for episode one, and even while we were sitting there watching episode one, and I can't tell you because episode ten is airing this Friday, <laughs> nine p.m. on Fox. Um, there were things that we were watching. We said, "Oh, here's what we owe in episode ten. Yeah. We owe. We we sat there and we started writing down scenes oh, that we owe that are in the final cut that we cool. just watched." And I, look, your your mileage may vary, but if you've watched, I think you will find this season is extremely satisfying. And if it's the last episode of The Exorcist, I hope it's not. But if it's the last episode of The Exorcist, I think you will be satisfied. That's great. Yeah. I want to ask you guys just a couple of specific sort of story yeah. choices uh, sure. that went into this Please. season, um, and maybe the conversations that happened around them. Um, the first of which is about going into these characters' backgrounds. Um, you know, we got to see a lot of sort of the other priest last season, uh, what he was dealing with, and he got to be this sort of, like, mysterious priest right. guy. Right. This season we get to learn a little bit more about him, and but I feel like it's doled out in a really, like, you almost hold it back even while doling it out. Um, what were the conversations around that? I mean, you said you came into the season, Jeremy, knowing you wanted to explore a little bit more about him. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we knew in, in year one that Marcus was a bisexual character because we had built him with Ben, with ben Daniels. We, we sat there before we even went off and shot the pilot, and, and Roland Jones, the, the season one showrunner, and I, we, we, and, and Rupert Wyatt would just have hour-long conversations about where did you come from, what are the meanings behind your tattoos, um, what do you think happened after you shot your father in the face with a hunting rifle? Um, what happened in that boy's home? What, what, how did you get inducted into the priesthood? So we kind of built his entire story, and then it's just a question of when do you parcel that out? What do you save as a mystery and, uh, versus 
you know, some giant exposition dump. We also had problems in year one. Um, we, we did a flashback early on in episode two that was not our most um, successful moment. Uh, it was terrible. Um, and, and and it really kind of scared us off from doing flashbacks for the rest of the season. We had more planned and we kind of we kind of walked back from the ledge. And so and then we came in this year and we we're like, OK, we need these flashbacks because this guy is so fascinating you want to figure out yeah. what makes the characters you love tick where did they come from um, so then it was always a question of you know are, are, are we finding a child actor who can play young Ben Daniels <laughs> or, or can we get the technology to kind of digitally de-age him and do the sort of right. Marvel uh, Captain <laughs> yeah. America uh, Iron Man de-aging thing um, and and so even some of that those ideas were in flux until we had those visual effects right. conversations to figure out is this something you can do on a TV budget and a TV schedule can we shoot uh, a flashback version where Ben Daniels is 20 years younger than he actually is and, and not have it look ridiculous. And, and it wasn't until we kind of had those first tests that we knew that we could actually go for it on, on the page. I mean, that came from Ben. Our very, I mean, our very, right? my very first conversation with Ben ever. I love Ben. He's the best actor in the world to work with. He'll send, he'll send me 10 page emails, you know, and, and it's really in depth and it's great. But we had like a two, the three of us had a two hour Skype conversation with Ben. We talked about everything in the show, and I think we mentioned the word flashback once halfway through the conversation. The next morning, I woke up to probably a 20-page email from Ben about why flashbacks didn't work in season one. Yeah. They don't wow. work. Don't do it. And so, oh, so that changed our thinking. We were gonna we were gonna do in episode 208 one of the flashbacks we were talking about was you know he was maybe 20 and Mouse was maybe 15 is what we talked about for a long time. After talking to Ben, we're like, all right, we better make this like he's 30 and she's <laughs> 25 because the technology can and then right. and then as he said start testing it. Yeah. So that really came That's out of funny. Ben, and, and I think it works wonder, and it's so great that we have Ben and, and Zuleika in those flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, a, it's also a function of, you know, who did what last year and how do we subvert that? Because last mm-hmm. year, if, if you, you know, unfortunately one of the problems with last season is that the, the, the script or the story by necessity kept pulling Marcus and Tomas in two different directions because we had this conspiracy story to keep alive, but we also had the family story. And so since Tomas was sort of more built into the family story, he was sort of the point of, of, of entry there. Marcus kept getting pulled off to go investigate and and go talk to homeless people and go abandon, search abandoned buildings and stuff like that. Hanging out with the Rigos. Yeah, <laughs> hanging out in, in trailers and looking at maps and stuff like that. And so we were like, okay, well, let's let's make sure that the characters are doing different things this year. So let's let's take Ben and and give him. Uh, a story arc this season that's less investigative and, and more mm-hmm. emotional. Let's kind of dive into, you know, this guy was had his collar taken away. There, <laughs> 30 years of, of poverty and chastity and celibacy vows uh, just got thrown out the window, and, and we never really explored that last year because there was just never time. Right. Um, it, it felt like a disservice to come back and, and have this guy just be the cop who's always on duty, who never yeah. kind of takes a moment to himself. And so we knew that we wanted Ben to 
we wanted Marcus to kind of experience these milestones and go on this journey, which means that Tomas, by necessity, now needs to get slotted over here to mm -hmm. this other storyline. So how do we bring him into contact with this family? How do we mm -hmm. make sure that he is more emotionally invested in what's happening to this house? And, and well, we need to give him these visions. We need to have these visions. So, so that's how kind of we, we build this larger story over the season of him opening him, himself up to these demonic visions and, and, and letting these things inside his head. Um, part of it is because it, it gives us new visual mm -hmm. language to play with in the show. But, but really, it's to solve story problems. Yeah. It's us looking, where do we need to take Tomas over the course of this year? And what is the story engine we can use to have him hit point A, B, and C? Yeah. Well, it seems like it's sort of this holistic approach, right? Yeah. If we're yeah. going to move this character forward over here and sort of touch on his emotional backstory, then what do we do with this character? Exactly. Because they joined, and right. then the bigger story. It's, it's an interesting how it comes together. Did it feel like a coming together or was it? Did. It did. Like, I think right. so. It does. Yeah, <laughs> it, absolutely. I think it, I think, I, and I hope again, when you watch 210, you feel that it really mm -hmm. comes together into one story. Yeah, that's great. That it all is all these disparate storylines that are slowly being funneled and funneled and funneled into you until you get a, a satisfying ending. Mm -hmm. It feels like, uh, also, I mean, you guys had a great room. Uh, I know you had a great Amazing. room. Amazing. The year. best. Great room. Amazing room. Um, the, best, the best room. Fast, smart. Yeah. It, uh, there must have been, I mean, when you have a great room like that, you have, there are so many ideas, right? Yeah. Was there stuff that got away? Were there things? So much. We had the, I mean, the, like you were saying, the Peter storyline, Peter and Peter and Marcus. Mm -hmm. We originally we intended that to be like three episodes long, oh, wow. a real almost like he he, he was going to go on a, a spiritual journey and, and maybe even uh, like ayahuasca and really yeah. find his look for other because because the the God has given God's not speaking to him the Catholic Church so he's going to find spirituality another way he was going to go that direction with it and it was going to be beautiful it was going to be a kiss they were going to make love there was going to be a whole physical interaction and then a, and then a goodbye at the end of the thing and basically we had we had time for. <laughs> Or, you know, I mean, yeah. we have three or four episodes, but it's right. very sparse because we just don't have time. Right. With but the, it's the also, Andy I mean, Kim story became yeah. so, and he John chose so good that we started having to say, well, we have this room, we don't have this room anymore mm -hmm. because we want our priests to be with John Cho, to be with Andy Kim. We want those three together. Um, so we unfortunately we didn't have time for some of the big storylines. But a little also goes along. It does. I mean, you're, it does. Like, it you're, does. you're saying so much, even if it is two minutes of screen time. Right. Right. Because we haven't known anything. Like, yeah. We're ready to grab onto this character. Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest challenge for writing our show is that we essentially always have three A storylines mm -hmm. where your average show has an A story, a B story. C runner, maybe. Yeah. Like, Marcus and Tomas usually have their own story in each episode. Even when they're... Even when they're together and they're dovetailing, mm -hmm. usually they have their own story, mm -hmm. and then and then John John Cho has his own A story for every episode, um, and and so you, you figure you have forty two and a half minutes per episode, and that's hard and fast. You can't go over yeah. and you can't yeah. go under. So <laughs> so you figure, you know, if, even if you give all three of the, your main characters 10 minutes each per episode, which isn't a lot no. at all. Um, that still only leaves you with 13 minutes to divide between all the other B stories. Right. And, and in this case, for this season, we had five foster kids um, <laughs> plus plus a love interest. Yeah. Um, Mouse and Bennett? And, and plus, <laughs> plus Mouse and Bennett, Bennett. Plus and the entire conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. Who has exactly. her own and wants a knee. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's 13 minutes per episode, basically, yeah. broken down to divide right. between all 
of that. And, and any time you go over that 13 minutes, um, it's going to detract from right. from someone's story. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of stuff that you know. Poor, poor Father Bennett was one of the big casualties yeah. this year, just because every every week we would sit there and board like. Then Bennett goes to to a, a pawn shop in Amsterdam, and it gets yeah. surrounded on all sides by Vatican agents, and there's a shootout, and the building catches on fire. And then you start boarding the episode, and it's like, oh, all we have time for is like Bennett and Mouse down in the ossuary. Yeah, one scene. Bennett has, yeah. ta- Bennett has a conversation yeah. Yeah. on an existing set, yeah. and, then, and then walks out of the room. Um, yeah, so so you have to you have to. We love Bennett. We we yeah, absolutely love Bennett. Bennett. We love. Kurt. And if there's a season three, <laughs> I can't say anymore. But uh, yeah, we have yeah. Big, we have big plans for Bennett. Um, yeah. So it, it always becomes one of these things of like yeah. you have to always be balancing which characters have you given a lot of stuff to, and 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 who is still owed it. Like mm-hmm. you look at our foster kids and like. Caleb was really prevalent in episode yeah. one. Didn't have as much to do in, in later episodes. Yeah. Shelby was really prevalent in two. Harper was the lead in three. Grace yeah. was all about four. Um, so we always kind of try to balance yeah. the kids. And once the kid, you know, unfortunately, once one of the kids got kind of their big centerpiece episode, um, they're kind of supporting characters going forward. But to then some also, extent. I mean, and, and I wonder if it's conscious or not, like, it kind of doesn't matter that they're supporting characters because they've gotten that. And you do this sort of haiku work, right? right. Yeah. Like, what's the smallest space I can say the most? Yes. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and, and once you have that emotional presence. that yeah. emotional investment with the kid, exactly. a little bit goes a long way right. because now you love him and you understand him and, and, and you're rooting for him. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to spend 25 minutes with each kid in every episode. Yeah. Right. Um, they become almost one character until we start killing them off. Yes, until right. they all die right. in episode nine. Well, and, and yeah. listen, I was going to... We killed some in ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to make a joke about this, but like <laughs> that has to be a conversation. Right? It's oh like, yeah, body count. It has I mean, to be for real, and sure. yeah, these are five kids. Yeah, can we kill off kids in an episode? It's, I guess we'll find out. Uh, it's a, this it's week, a, it's a huge. It's a. It's probably the central uh, argument that we would have in the room. Central conflict really? about who to kill and when to kill and what. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, it's a horror. It's a yeah. horror. So yeah. You have to have some sort of body count, you, yeah. and you want to absolutely. And and, and and things change quite a bit. I mean, yeah. there was a ver- There was. Uh, the character Rose, played by mm-hmm. Lily, um, is she? She was dead for like a week. Um, yeah. There was yeah. a point where episode six, in, instead of oh, Harper's wow. mom being killed, Rose. the entire episode really? was Rose trying to get off the island. And yeah. at the very end, she's yeah. on the ferry going for help, and she turns around. Andy's there. He stabs her, dumps her. She goes through the propeller. What? The the ocean turns red behind the boat, and that's the end of the episode. Um, Because because we needed because the demon caused so much chaos in season one. I got it. I got the light. Um, Because it caused so much chaos in season one, it's like, well, if the the demon comes back this year and everyone gets off scot-free just because it's a house full of kids, it's going to feel like we're pulling our punches. The audience is going to see behind the curtain. And so we started talking about who can conceivably die. How how far can you take Andy and still have you rooting for this family to come back together and, and, and find a happy ending? So obviously in episode nine, he kind of puts those kids through the ringer and does yeah. some pretty horrific shit. And, and you know, there's more to come in episode ten. Was um, it the was yeah. it and, and we'll wrap up in a sec, but was it the question of how far can we push Andy that changed who died in that episode? 
It wasn't. It, it was a question of of us realizing that we really needed Rose mm-hmm. um, for those remaining. It was. Yeah. It was also falling in love with Lily because mm-hmm. yeah, because once okay. once you you see the, that first episode coming in and you realize how charming and, and, and personal you're like, oh god, I can't yeah. put this person through a right. boat propeller. <laughs> um, you start, she, a, she, we, she clearly had an arc. She yeah. came in, was playing an arc. She came in as the social worker, and she's the antagonist of the first episode as well. She really is the one that's coming to break up the family, and now we realize, oh, we have a full, we have an arc, which I can't go into too much in too depth, but she is clearly has the arc. Yeah, she has a, a big arc to play. Cool. And, and, and if you look at 208, you, you start to realize that at some point you know that Marcus and Tomas are going to be focused on this investigation, and if one adult is tied to a bed and the other one is yeah. chopped up into little pieces, who's watching these kids? We're either taking these neighbors and making the, them major characters, or Marcus and Tomas are babysitting. Right. And like neither of Which those. I would watch a whole episode of. Yes, yes. It's just oh yeah, Marcus telling Bible stories, impressionable children. Anything you want, the fridge, guys, go for it. <laughs> Perfect. It'd be a great episode with those actors. Nice. You can Come absolutely on. watch them read the phone book. I'd watch it. Yeah. Uh, so now we know what to expect if there's a. Season Season three, the phone yes, book. The phone book. <laughs> the phone book's babysitter. Um, you must have had conversations about if we get another season. Here's stuff we're interested in. Do you want to t- talk about any of it? You know, I, uh, we can. Uh, I've been. We've been talking about location mm-hmm. because we're, we we would probably move it Vancouver. to another place. <laughs> like we were talking about Mexico City, perhaps. Um, uh, we've talked about Ireland. We've talked about Iceland, Prague. I mean, uh, you know, different New places Orleans. in America. Los Angeles, New it's Orleans. In there. One thing we yeah. didn't get to do this season, we talked about it last year and we didn't have time, and then we talked about it this year and we didn't have time, is is bringing in other faiths and other religions. <laughs> Much more. Um, yeah. And, and it, was always, it was always the game plan. We were going to bring in some First Nations mm-hmm. storylines this season, and then unfortunately, as... As storylines expanded and yeah. contracted, we realized that it was going from like a three episode arc to a one episode arc to like right. now just a single scene. <laughs> and, and 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 when you start compressing stuff, it becomes cliche. Yeah. And we're like, oh, we're gonna have this guy come in and he's just gonna seem like a bullshit shaman, yeah. Hollywood holy man. <laughs> yeah. And it's gonna seem like we didn't do our homework. And so we're like, oh, we'll save it for season three. So we've said that two years in a row. But I think we have if we to. get a third season. It's owed. Like we've already kind of established that that the Catholic Church has been infiltrated and, 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 and turned and can no longer yeah. be trusted. Which means if Marcus and, and Tomas need are, are looking for allies in this larger fight, they're going to have to reach outside the That's church, cool. and we're going to have to right. start seeing how other people fight back against these same forces using very de- different methodologies. That's really cool. Yeah. We had Rabbi Stein as a, as a character. Rabbi Stein like, was in there for like six yeah. weeks. Yeah. Rabbi uh, Stein. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he was on the board. I think someone even tweeted it out, Rabbi Stein. That's but really again, funny. it was, it became like three episodes and it became one. And then, oh, okay. We, if we're not going to do, if we're not really going to get into Judaism, then we right. can't. We did be. Yeah. Yeah. to do it for for a period even the the episode three storyline with Harper the little standalone where it turns out to be a, a Munchausen by proxy mm-hmm. um, illness um, we were talking about like oh is, is that our chance to do like mm-hmm. bring in some some Jewish Orthodox yeah. right. mysticism and, and bring in some Dibbics mm-hmm. and and, and mm-hmm. different different mm-hmm. names for for sort of the same primal malevolent forces yeah. and and the problem is you start compressing it and it's like oh well now our now because because She's Harper's bad. mom turns out to be evil, are you yeah. now right. saying something right. negative about <laughs> Judaism compared yeah. to Catholicism? And it becomes so, complicated in a bad way. It, yeah, it, it, yeah exactly. it, it's one of those things where you can do it for the right reasons and it comes across in the worst possible way. But it seems so. like also by pushing it, like 
now is the time to do it, right? Like, you've right. sort of built up this mythology, you've built up these yeah. characters, and now we so. get to push out at the world a little bit. Yeah, exactly. We have to. We have, we have it's to. Really we have to. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to keep expanding the sandbox, because if yeah. every year was just showing up, and here's another family in another house, and right. they come Catholic, in, and, and Catholics yeah, come in, and, they come in <laughs> right. and, and chant for ten episodes, yeah. and then <laughs> and then walk off into the sunset, I think some, some fatigue would yeah. set in. I like your Mad Magazine version that you've just described. <laughs> Catholics come in, they chant. Finale is on this Friday night. This Friday. Yes. Uh, on Fox, people should check it out. And they can I think they can go watch it. It's on Hulu or Hulu. something. Yeah, it's on Hulu, Hulu the next day, Netflix Canada. And, and I think on the Fox website, yeah. I think you Fox can catch up on most of the episodes. And people really should. I've been yeah. saying it for Please two watch all ten. Time. Binge them. Yeah. They're great to binge. You're, they really are. It's true. I mean, look. It's a it's, it's the best network drama we've got. It feels like <laughs> yeah. a, a cable show, right? It should uh, that people love. Um, before we wrap up, let me ask you guys. I know you've been busy all year, but have you had time to watch television? Is there stuff that you have enjoyed? Is there stuff you want to recommend? The Good Place is my favorite show. The best. The Good Place is awesome. The Good Place is amazing. Uh, the The end of season one is one of my favorite <laughs> episodes of all time. Yeah, of yeah. television. Uh, and people show. need to watch that. Um, I haven't seen like yeah, I still, still haven't seen <laughs> Stranger Things. I still haven't seen Leftovers. Oh, I saw the second no. episode of Stranger Things. That's how <laughs> that's how slow it is when you're in TV and you're working sixteen hours yeah. a day. Well, that's know? a binge for you. Yeah, you want year. Oh, I can't right. wait. Uh, I can't wait for Stranger Things. It's great. The first two episodes are great. I thought Leftovers uh, season three though was one of the best things I've ever seen on TV. I, hearing I, I thought it was. I thought season one was okay, and I thought season two was a huge improvement. I thought season three was one of those mythical, perfect seasons of television. I, it was the most ambitious, most emotionally resonant thing I've seen in a long time. Can I just watch season three? <laughs> you could, but but you will you will get a lot more. Um, yeah, it's 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 the most ambitious long form storytelling I've ever seen awesome. on a TV show. Um, right. So so that was it. leftovers in particular was a huge inspiration for me coming in to to season two. Just they have they have big conceptual episodes in season two and season three where they really break the box, and and that's why we kind of came in and pushed for. Our episode seven, where the whole thing is from the oh, perspective cool. of the possessed. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, God damn it, Leftovers had this episode that I can't shake, where they just stepped outside and swung for the fences. We have to do it. Like, if this is our last season, we've got to have that yeah. one big swing. So, yeah. yeah, like, that's that's the best thing I've seen. Um, that's great. Well, and hopefully that kind of give and take is happening more and more. Like, we who are making TV are responding to right. other people making TV and movies and books and things. And yeah. Get, yeah. get inspired by those good ideas. There's we all keep elevating each other. I, I really so. feel we, we are doing that. Yeah. yeah, there was that bullshit article that came out how, like, <laughs> now that House of Cards is over, the golden age of TV has ended. And I'm like, shut the fuck no. up. TV has never been better. It's And it, look yeah, at it keeps getting better. It's, it's more an embarrassment of riches. There is, there is you know, Godless just came out, and yeah. there's a 10 hour Scott yeah. Frank Western just sitting there waiting <laughs> for me that I don't have time to watch and you're saying the yeah. golden age is over shut the no. fuck up it's impossible there's a thousand hours of amazing yeah. stuff to watch and there are more places to watch them yeah. which means more places to buy them and yeah it's, it's, it's an exciting time to be in yeah it. it's the best time yes. it's, it's, <laughs> yeah thank you guys so much for thank you with ben, awesome. thank you very much thanks for Good watching luck. thanks for being a fan <laughs> thanks really appreciate it now leaving nerdist.com